Am I on? Ooh, on. Are you on? Yes. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Man, Access has a full house today. It's so good to see all of you here. Amen. Amen. It's a new year, new slate, new opportunities to hear from the Lord. Amen. All right, I'm just going to open with a quick word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll get into the word. We'll get to work, as Tom Plink says. Let's get to work. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you for already a beautiful time of worship uh, through song and giving. We thank you that our kids have a place to go to learn about you this morning. We thank you that us adults have a place to stay and listen to you as well. And we just pray for this, this time, Father, that you uh, would have your way, that I would yield to you as a speaker and a listener, because you also speak to me as I share, and also that everybody under the sound of my voice would also hear the Spirit of God beyond Amy's voice, that we would all hear the Spirit of God this morning as your word is shared. We love you, we honor you, and we say, have your way, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 So excited today. My name's Amy to be sharing with you. I'm going to be, in Jesus' name, finishing uh, what I started a few month and a half ago now. Um, Fontaine is in Georgia, I believe, this morning. So we bless him, and we know that he's having an impact there for the kingdom of God. And we're going to dig in this morning. Amen. Amen. Uh, this is part three. I wrote my outline back a month and a half ago for a message. And I got through like point one in the first message. <laughs> Fontaine's like, I think we're going to need to break it into series, into, into parts, into a series, you know. I was like, all right. So I'm talking about community. I'm talking about belonging to a church. Um, more importantly, it's easy to belong to a church, but staying put, putting down roots. And how do we deal with conflict that comes when we belong to a group of imperfect people? What do, how do we handle it? It's easy to leave, it's easy to walk away when we meet other people in a way that hurts, but the Lord's challenge, I believe, all throughout his word is to walk with, not away from others, whether they're following Jesus or not, walking with people. That's what Jesus modeled, walking with. So I started out in 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to go ahead and share that this morning. As they're pulling it up, let me read something out of my, my Bible that I thought was such a perfect picture before I read 1 Corinthians 12, but you guys can go ahead and put it up. Much like the church today, Jesus united a band of 12 men who couldn't have been more different from one another. Fishermen, a political revolutionary, a despised tax collector. There was one who even denied Jesus. One who was known as the doubter. Two with trigger tempers. And one who ended up living in infamy as a traitor to change the world. He brought this band of men together who could not have been more different from one another. And because of their willingness to stay, to follow Jesus, he used the bumping up against one another, 
He used the challenging of one another that undoubtedly brought up pride, fear, anger, resentment. And he used all of that to sharpen them, to send them out, and they turned the world upside down. And his vision for the church today is no different. His vision for the church is that all of us find our band of men and women. Where is God calling us to plug in and put down roots so that he can use the hurt, the anger, the crashing into one another, the differences of opinion, the differences in vision, the differences in priorities, and all of that comes together to sharpen us so that we can be sent out and impact the world. So I started this series in 1 Corinthians 12, and I believe it gives us a great framework to think about everything that I just said. What is going to happen in the body of Christ and how we should think about it so that we can properly respond and so that we don't run out the door. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 through 26. The way God designed our bodies is a model for understanding our lives together as a church. Every part dependent on one another. The parts we mention and the parts we don't. The parts we see and the parts we don't. I think there's another slide. If one part hurts, every part is involved in the hurt. Now, every part is not involved in inflicting the hurt. <laughs> every part is involved in experiencing, accompanying, walking alongside the part that is hurt, and in the healing. If one part flourishes, every other part enters into the exuberance. Is there another slide? You are Christ's body. This is the takeaway today. You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You are no longer Fernando. You are no longer Jeanette. You are no longer Rosita. I am no longer Amy. I am no longer an individual going after my individual vision or hopes or dreams, or I'm no longer Amy running from my past. I am now the body of Christ. That's who I am. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as we accept our part in the body does our part mean anything. Remember the carburetor? I had a carburetor up here a few week, month and a half ago. I had never seen a carburetor before. But from what I understand, Bio told me that without the carburetor, the car won't work. But by itself, it does nothing. And how many times do we come to church thinking that we're doing our own thing? Monday through Saturday, we're doing our own thing. But then God says, no, you are part of the body. You 
are the body of Christ. And this is the framework that we should be thinking about this corporate body. So this is how I began. Satan knows this. Satan knows. He knows the Bible. He knows it better than any of us in this room does. He's been reading it for thousands of years. He's been listening to more sermons than we could ever possibly hope to listen to. He's listened to good ones. He's listened to bad ones. He's listened to well-interpreted and applied and delivered. And he's listened to poorly interpreted and applied and delivered. He knows all the ways to twist the word. But more importantly, he knows full well the power of unity. He saw the disciples. He saw what happened when they put aside their own ambition. They all wanted to be right next to Jesus. They all wanted to be the face that people saw. They all wanted to be the flashy lights. Satan knows that when they put that aside and they focused on the vision, they came together in unity. He saw what happened. He saw the power when Christ rose from the dead. The disciples witnessed it, and they took off. Satan knows the power of unity, and that if he can keep us, the daughters and sons of God, from coming together, he can make a significant, exponential dent in our kingdom impact. I talked about limits and boundaries a few weeks ago. I talked about they're good for us. They actually give us freedom. They're not bad. They feel bad. They often feel like someone's trying to control us. Limits and boundaries. But limits and boundaries are a result of God saying, holy, unholy. These are my children. These are not and if we are followers of Christ, we will ever, ever, we will forever until the end of time when we are glorified and we live in the presence of God for eternity, we will forever be butting up against boundaries because we will always, God is always renewing us. He's always saying, nope, not that way, this way. Nope, not that way, this way. And as we wander, we're going to hit a boundary of holiness. And God's going to say, that is not for me. Go that way. And the problem is, is that he'll use his word through men and women of God. And it'll come out wrong sometimes. And we will associate that misapplication or wrong delivery of correction with him. And we'll say, not anymore, I'm out of here. And God says, no, no, no. That's not what I want you to focus on. What am I telling you? What am I saying to your heart as you follow me? How am I sharpening you? How am I training you? How am I developing you? It might not have felt good when we hear it. It might not sound nice. But when God brings the when he defines a boundary, that's what the Ten Commandments were. When God brought the Ten Commandments in, the children of Israel were, were not the children of Israel yet. He brought them in and he said, look, I am holy. I am your God. You 
be holy. And in order to be holy, you will do this, and 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 you will not do this, and you will not do this, and you will not do this. Because I can't have a dish. I'm always harping on my kids, and my husband just threw it back at me the other day. I'm always harping on my kids. I pull a dish out of the drainer to, you know, they've been washed, and I pull it out of the drainer, and it's not clean. People, it's either clean or not clean. I'm not going to have guests in my house and give them dirty plates. They're dirty because they're not clean. And if they're clean, they're not dirty. But if they're dirty, they're not clean. <laughs> so my husband pulled the glass out yesterday. Babe, this is not clean. And I had washed it, he knew. Babe, this is not clean. It's like, stop. But you get my drift. If it's dirty, it's not clean. If it's unholy, it's not holy. We must, I mean, like, it's by definition, right? Wet or dry, dry or wet. You can't have kind of wet and kind of dry. You can't have kind of holy and kind of unholy. And this is where when God brings us into a body of Christ, he uses, he uses that, that time when our pastor either says something to the congregation and we're sure he is talking about us in front of everybody, and he's just reading scripture. I mean, really. But we get so hot and bothered. And instead of listening to the Spirit of God, we have not learned how to discern because we keep taking off. Or we keep letting our emotions get the best of us. I'm preaching to the choir. We have to grow up. God uses things like boundaries, correction, accountability, and submission to bring attitudes of pride, anger, unforgiveness, impatience to the surface of our hearts. And it's at that point that we decide. Do I react and blame and focus on him or her? Or do I surrender? Do I stop? And I say, Lord, I know that's not from you. I know that attitude, no matter what caused it, no matter what triggered it, I'm going to keep my eyes on you, not on the trigger or the person. And I'm going to surrender that attitude. He's looking for us to trade our pride for humility, our anger for meekness, our unforgiveness for forgiveness, our impatience this is really hard for me, for patience. I'm just going to be transparent this entire message. Our lack of self-control for a life that dies to this flesh every day. Church, he's looking for a life of holiness. And he's not going to do it for me. There's no magic pill there's no magic potion. There's no cocktail. It's the daily grind of surrender. It's the daily willingness to show up when that person that we know makes us crazy. It's our willingness to show up. I just talked with a friend about this the other night. And yield. 
Will we show up and yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Or will we not? First, First Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. See, we get that backwards sometimes. We think we are for our possession. We are for his possession. That you, that we, that I, why does all of that? He just defined. He just set boundaries. He just outlined who, what is my identity? For what purpose? To what end? That. My Bible says, so that. I'm always looking for so that's in Scripture. Okay, this is the good thing that God's done for me, but there's always a so that that follows. It's not for me to go sit on my couch and enjoy. So that I can proclaim, we can proclaim the excellencies of him who has Here's the boundary. Called us out of darkness into the light. We either are walking in the light or we're walking in the darkness. Holy or not. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. How is that possible? Because he brought in boundaries. He brought in limits. He brought in correction. He brought in submission. Once you had not received mercy... Thank you, Jesus. But now we have received mercy. The definition of boundaries is something, something that shows where an area ends and another begins. And it doesn't take too long when we are in a community, when we're in a group. I mean, it starts whenever your alarm goes off, if you live with somebody. When you start to bump in to somebody else who rubs you wrong, and all of a sudden, that distinction of holiness versus unholiness, you don't even have to say anything out of your mouth. You can feel it rise up. Please shut up. It is only six in the morning. I'm not, I haven't even had coffee yet. Stop talking. Really quickly, I can identify some attitudes in my heart but it's because somebody's there with me that's challenging that. Not on purpose, sometimes, yes. We all know buttons, right? And we all can push buttons and have buttons pushed. But this is where God's saying, you are my people. I'm working out holiness. I'm using the word of God to save your souls, if we will let him. Limits don't always mean someone's trying to control us. The framework of this whole message is church hurt. Most of you in here have heard our story. We came out of a situation that was really hurtful for many years. Coming into this environment took us a while to allow the defenses to come down, to allow ourselves to be disarmed, to allow the soil of our hearts to be soft again so that the Holy Spirit could come in through the messages, through the worship, through the community, and begin to work life in our hearts. And, and coming from that into this, I had some triggers. Limits. Limits do not always mean someone is trying to control us. There's the no test. How do you respond when someone says, no, not right now? Thanks for the idea. 
but we'll pray about it. What kind of attitude, what kind of feeling does that trigger on the inside of us? The no test. This is a test of maturity. If you're in a group, in a church setting, if we're just in a, you know, it doesn't have to be in a group, you just approach the pastor, or maybe you're in a group of volunteers and you come up and you tell them an idea and you're so excited, you know the Lord's spoken to you, and you know it's going to have all of these amazing results, and you, you express it, and the leader says, thank you. And what, however they say it, they say no, right? Maybe they say it well, maybe they don't say it well. But the test of maturity is how you respond. Do you go talk to somebody and tell someone else about that conversation? Do you go express your displeasure at how somebody told you no? Or do you quiet your heart and you go back to the Lord and you seek him for his timing, his wisdom, and if you're upset, you seek him and you, help, you ask him to help you for self-control. I do it all the time. Lord, please, I need self-control. I mean, I know I have self-control, but I need the, the Holy Spirit. I need the grace of God to help me exercise it right now. I do it every day. The fruit of the Spirit is in me. It's growing. I don't have to ask God for patience. I don't have to ask God for self-control. I don't have to ask him for wisdom. All that he is, is in me. I do have to learn how to use it. I do have to learn how to make my mind, my heart, everything to shut up so I can hear, I can discern the Spirit of God. I had this opportunity recently. Shut up, Amy. Zip it. Zip it. Sometimes it's easy. I mean, sometimes it sounds funny, and sometimes it's just so hard to be quiet. And it does literally take a miracle to shut up, to be quiet, to sit down, to put the phone down and not react. But it's a daily process. It's not something that's automatic. When we come to the Lord and we accept him as our Lord and Savior, we are not automatically patient. We are not automatically kind. If you're a smoker, you don't, I mean, you could. God could deliver you like that. And if, you know, if you want to stop smoking, more than likely, you're going to have to get some Nicorette or something. It's going to be a process. James talks about the word of God saving our souls. So my spirit man is renewed. My spirit man is regenerated. I am positionally a daughter or a son of God after that point of accepting the blood of Jesus for my sins and repenting accepting his lordship. I am a daughter of God, but I'm probably still going to lose my cool. I'm probably still going to bump into somebody at church that's going to rub me wrong, and I will more than likely pop off at the mouth, or somebody will pop off at the mouth at me. It's just going to happen. But this is where the Lord is calling us to stay. Now, now there, there, you know, there are situations that we must walk away from. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that every situation with conflict you should stay in. But most of the time, we need to stay.
I talked about boundaries. They will always result in conflict. I mean, if the boundary wasn't there, we would just keep going and going forever. We'd run off the cliff. God puts boundaries in our life for our protection. But it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to mean, if I'm walking, right? If I'm walking and God's put a boundary there and I'm, not, and I'm not recognizing that I'm not going in a good direction and out of his love and mercy for me, he has put a boundary through a word from a pastor or a word from a brother or sister who has insight into what I'm doing and I'm just walking along doing my thing, I'm going to crash into that boundary. I'm going to hit maybe a rebuke from the Lord. I'm going to hit maybe the Lord yanking a knot in my chain and saying, sister, you better look at the road you're walking. But he might use a friend or a pastor or a leader. It might not sound nice. It might not be lovey-dovey. I love you so much. I just, I just want you to stop and look at where you're walking because pretty soon it's going to be painful for you and I don't know. It might not sound like that. It might be like, hey, open your eyes. Wake up. Come on. That's not holiness. That's not righteousness. That's not self-control. That's not going to take you where you want to go. But when we hear that, like I said, oftentimes, all I see is that dang blue box. What? I can't believe that box just hit me. I can't believe that box just tripped me. And all I can see, because I'm so angry, I'm so upset, I'm so offended, is the blue box. I think, I think that often we think that God can only use when I'm sitting at home privately in the protection and comfort of my own house, he will only use this to correct me. It's embarrassing, it's humbling, nobody likes to be called out. Nobody likes to have their faults pointed out. For some of us, it's a trigger. It makes us feel like a failure. Some of us grew up with parents that when they corrected us, they pointed out all of our failures. So that when we have a failure or a downfall or a something, you all know what I'm saying, when we have something pointed out, we react instead of saying, ooh, Lord, you're right. I repent. I humble myself. I stop. I listen to your voice. I'm going to go back to the word. If my, my church leader, my pastor, my friend, maybe somebody who isn't my friend, maybe God's going to use a donkey. And because I'm up here, I'm saying it's a donkey. Maybe someone's going to use, or maybe God's going to use a donkey to reveal, to open my eyes to something that I would rather not recognize. I would rather think that I have it all together. I, I referenced this passage in 2 Samuel in my closing in the last message. It warrants bringing it up again because God rebuking, correcting, disciplining calling to submission is throughout 
the Bible. He calls us. He uses all of these issues, and he calls us to stay under sometimes the fire of his correction so that he can burn out all the sludge and that diamond that's on the inside of us and that gold that's on the inside of us can rise to the surface. When we're purifying metal, we're heating it up, heating it up, heating it up, heating it up so that all the dirt, all of the invaluable minerals that nobody cares about, they rise to the surface, we skim them off, and what's left is the good stuff. And when we're under that fire of, of correction, he is doing it to us. He's speaking it to us. But because of our history, maybe sometimes, because of our experience, our own parents, our grandparents, our aunts and uncles, teachers maybe, maybe pastors, church leaders, who have, as I said, misapplied correction and discipline, moving forward, we see anybody who points out something in our life as abuse, mistreatment. We have to renew our minds. When Nathan, if you don't know the story, David was the king of Israel. The Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. The dude made some big-time mistakes. It wasn't even like, oops, that was a mistake. Premeditated. I'm looking at all of the options, and I'm going to choose that road. Murder, infidelity, his child died as a consequence. He had big-time stuff going on in his heart. Not that every person in this room doesn't. But he used the man of God to call him out, as I said, to yank a knot in his chain. Like, hey! And it was not pretty. I think it's verse 7. Go ahead and put that up. This is, this is a conflict when you come up against a boundary of holiness. You come up against what God has defined Nathan said, you, you are that man. He had just told this parable, Nathan, to David. Oh, David, fika seke. There was this, there was this poor man who had a little lamb that he loved, but there was a rich man who had to sacrifice a lamb for a dinner party, and he didn't want to sacrifice any of his lambs. So he went to the poor man, and he took his only beloved lamb. This poor man's children loved this baby lamb, and the rich man took the baby lamb and killed it and ate it. And David, <gasps> kill him. Get that rich man. Take him. His consequence should be death. And Nathan made no bones about it. You are that man. Man. I say this because conflict is not fun. Growth, sharpening, maturity, it hurts. The Bible says that Jesus learned obedience through what? Anybody? Nope. 
Anyone? Suffering. Welcome to the party of suffering. Welcome to the party of staying. Welcome to the party of, ow, Lord, that hurts. Come on, girl, come up. Come on, girl, come up. Come on, son of God, come up. Welcome to the party of suffering. I don't mean to be flippant about suffering. I'm not making light of it. But if we constantly cultivate an attitude and a response of fleeing, getting the heck out of Dodge, when the going gets rough, we will not grow. We will not have impact for the kingdom. And when on that day we stand alone before the king of kings, and he says, what did you do, my child, with what I gave you? You will have no one to blame. But they didn't, they weren't nice to me, Lord. They didn't tell me in a way that I could receive. Come up, child of God. Nathan said, you are that man. Bring that back up for me. Please. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. Then we jump to verses 12 and 13. Verses 8, 9, and 10 are Nathan outlining all the consequences that David is going to have. He says, For you did this secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel and before the Son. This is the Lord responding to David through Nathan. Church, this is verse 13. This is where we will find ourselves every day of our life. This point of decision. This was David's point of decision. Am I going to come up? Or am I going to turn away and point a finger at somebody else? Thank God, David said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin and you shall not die. That's Jesus on our behalf. He's put away our sin and we shall not die. I have sinned against the Lord. What are we going to do, church? When the Lord reveals by whatever means he chooses, it may feel good, it may not feel good. We may think the person delivering the correction or the rebuke or the discipline is qualified to say what they're saying or what, whatever's happening. We can come up with all kinds of justifications for why either we're right, they're wrong. We could come up with all sorts of conversations and internal dialogue. But David said, I have sinned, Lord. I know it. You know it. And I repent. The idea that only God, through his word, can correct or discipline us is not scriptural. God will use people. 
He will use situations. He will use traffic. He will use our children. He will use annoying, hurtful, damaging people. Hurtful situations, traumas, failures. The title of this series is Nothing is Wasted in the Kingdom of God. It doesn't matter how dark your hell has been. It doesn't matter how off target the person who just called you out. They could be a jerk, but they could be right and be a jerk. What is the Spirit of God saying to you? And if we can get our emotions to calm down enough to say, I hear you, Lord. I know you're talking to me. I don't know exactly what right now. So I'm going to shut my mouth. I'm not going to react. And I'm going to go into my prayer closet. Fontaine talked about this for a while this this past year. I'm going to go to my secret place and I'm going to seek your heart. I'm going to go into your word. I'm going to spend time quieting myself, quieting my heart. I'm going to go wash my dishes and zip my lips. And just some of my best work is over the the sink. I just got here this morning to Nathan, and I was like, Nathan, I was, I was washing my dishes last night and this, and so I made a quick change. Whatever, wherever your place is to decompress and allow the Spirit of God to stir, root out those attitudes. We need to trade. We need to make some trades, church. We need to allow these hurtful situations to have their work. God doesn't give us hurtful situations. I mean, I think that's a toss-up. We could have conversations all day long about what God gives us and good and bad. It just happens, folks. We live in a broken world. Good and bad. Painful. Fun people. But if, if, We will always come back to the Lord with all of these different situations and not run away from the situations. Run to him and allow him to show us with his living word that is an active force. It's alive. It's a sword. It divides our thoughts. It helps us to recognize wrong motivations, wrong perceptions, No child of God. That is not a right perception. He will do that if we yield to him. But if we keep on trucking, angry, unforgiving, hard-hearted, justifying everything we're doing, reactive to everything around us, we can't hear, we can't discern. He says, come to me. Come to me. Nathan, no, David had a blind spot. He could not see his own sin until Nathan said, rich man, poor man, lamb, killed the lamb, stole the lamb, and all of a sudden, bing, it was you, Nathan. And Nathan was like, or David, and David was like, it was me. It was a blind spot. He was so caught up in his royalness, I don't know, in his entitlement, I'm the king. He forgot about 
his call to holiness. And he didn't see it. He couldn't recognize it until the man of God said, it was you. He had a blind spot. David's repentance and godly sorrow came as a result of Nathan's correction and David's attitude and willingness to both hear and receive. I don't believe it would have happened had Nathan, had Nathan, Nathan, <laughs> had Nathan not confronted, and it definitely wouldn't happen, the repentance, definitely wouldn't have happened had David not chosen to repent. We have to renew our minds. Hebrews 12, 4, 11, 4 through 11. I'm going to read the whole passage. Bear with me, but it's a great passage. Whoever the writer of Hebrews is, this is what he said. Have you forgotten, speaking of renewing our minds, have you forgotten how good parents treat children and that God regards you as his children? My dear child, don't shrug off God's discipline, but don't be crushed by it either. It's the child he loves that he disciplines. The child he embraces, he also corrects. God is educating us. That's why we must never drop out. He's treating us as dear children. The trouble is, no, sorry, the trouble you're in isn't punishment, it's training. The normal experience for children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Figure it out on your own. I'm inserting here. God's not going to leave us to fend for ourselves and figure it out. He loves us. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training? Here it is. And where am I here? Oh, here. See, again, mine says, so that. So why not embrace God's training so that we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for us. to live his holy best. At the time, discipline is not much fun, amen. It always feels like it's going against the grain, but later, of course, it pays off big time. Here we go, church. For it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship. In Ephesians, I, I had that originally in my outline. I'm not going to read it. But in Ephesians 4, 7 through 13, that's the passage where it says that Jesus gave out gifts, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teaching. So those are gifts. Each of us in here has a gift to both contribute to the church and impact the world for his glory. It's a gift. Gifts are free. Christ freely gives us gifts 
the ability to sing, the ability to lead, the ability to have faith, the ability to lay hands, the ability to prophesy. We could go on and on. Gifts are free. Maturity is expensive. You could be gifted till the cows come home. I don't know how that translates. As soon as I said that. You could be gifted all day long. But are you willing to become mature? I'm trying, sis. Are we willing to become mature in 2023? Are we willing to stay in it? Are we willing to have the hard conversations? Are we willing to work it out? Are we willing to circle back? Gifts are free, but maturity is so expensive. But it's so worth it. I was reading in um, Luke. That's where my Bible reading for the year has started. Luke 2.51 through 2.52. You can put that up. I'll say this last thing about submission and then I'll close. Before I read Luke, I'm going to read the first, something out of Colossians. So leave Luke up, please. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have who may have preeminence? He, that in all things, every atom and cell and molecule of anything in the universe, that in all things, he may have preeminence. This is Christ. This passage in Luke is when Mary and Joseph had just come back to Jerusalem because they couldn't find their son, Jesus. He was in the temple going at it with the, with the teachers of the law. And they're like, son, we were going out of our minds looking for you. What are you thinking? We had no idea where you were. And he says, mama, didn't you know I would be about my father's business? And Mary hid all those things in her heart. So on the way out of Jerusalem, back to their home, they had to go back and get him because they lost him. And now they're back. They're back on the road. Colossians, I just read, who is Jesus? This Jesus, that in all things he may have preeminence. This is him. And he, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the lamb who sits on the throne, 
who is perfect and holy and worthy and deserving of every high praise. The same Jesus that we will bow down and worship for all of eternity. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them, his parents, his authority. He put it all down. It doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter how talented we are. It doesn't matter if we're the boss or we're the bottom. This attitude of submission, let me finish, sorry. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart, 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I have to believe that it's no coincidence that this verse that tells us that Jesus increased, increased means at first I'm low, I have little, and an amount of whatever is increasing is increasing. And we think Jesus, but this verse is saying he increased. He grew in wisdom, why? Why did he increase in wisdom? Why did he increase in stature? How could Jesus increase in favor with God? He's the son of God. But here's the word of God telling us that Jesus increased in favor with God and man. I believe it's because he submitted. I believe it was because God the Father found such deep pleasure and righteous pride in a son who would submit. Sons and daughters of God, he's calling us to come up in 2023. He's calling us to stay in 2023. He's calling us to submit to him as he uses this broken world in which we all live, the broken bride of Christ with whom we come to worship. He's using all of it. I brought this to share because I think about it all the time in this context. I got knives here for different purposes. Got a big butcher knife for big old hunks of meat. I think this is a julienne knife. I can slice or fillet, I think, fillet fish. I don't fillet fish, but I think this is a fillet knife. And then a paring knife, right? All for, they serve different purposes. These could be super effective, super helpful, but as they are used over time, they become dull. And a dull knife is dangerous. I've chopped off my fingernails before because of a dull knife. Thank God it wasn't the tip. That would have hurt more. Dull knives are dangerous. That's why we have sharpeners. And in this particular sharpener, thank you, Ali Hernandez, there's two different places to sharpen a knife for different knives. No two knives are equal. 
No two knives are the same. And depending on what kind of knife you are, God will use a different sharpener. Because as you dull, you will be dangerous. He sharpens us so that we are safe, so that we are effective, so that we are precise. He's sharpening you, church. It's not personal. When Way says, wrong way, wrong way, wrong way, wrong way, she doesn't hate me. She's not attacking me. She's telling me I'm going the wrong way. And when God is calling us out, he's sharpening us. It's not personal. In a sense, it's not personal, but in a sense, it's very personal. In the sense that he loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him will not perish. He does not want you to perish. He does not want you to perish. He's sharpening us. Maybe you're a paring knife. Maybe you're a fillet knife. Maybe you're a butcher knife. Whatever kind of knife you are, he's sharpening you. He's not abusing you. He's not, he's not keeping you down. He's growing you up. How are you going to respond in 2023 to things like correction, rebuke, discipline, accountability, correction, rebuke, discipline, accountability, confrontation, getting yanked back maybe? How are we going to respond? Will we be intentional? to honor, to walk in humility, and to love. When someone comes at me and I feel like I'm on the defensive, if I can position my heart to honor that person, to honor the child of God that they are, it will help me discern. It will help me to not be so reactive Honor is kingdom's currency. In 2023, how can you connect to someone in your local church in a deeper, more meaningful way to expand the kingdom of God? Church, if we are not connecting in some way to another human being for the end goal, of kingdom business, we're not doing what we were made to do. We're not doing what he's called us to do. How are you connecting? Intentionally making space in your planner, rearranging. Who are you calling? Who are you visiting? Who are you inviting into your space, your chaos, your crazy life? Invite someone into your mess we all got a mess. We just want to walk along someone else who's in their own mess and we can walk along together with the purpose of pointing them to him. What are we going to do in 2023? How are we going to respond and how are we going to be intentional to connect?
I'm going to pray. Lord, you beautiful. Your presence is so good, so gentle, so true and so loving. Lord, help us to hear the Spirit of God this morning. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Lord, I speak light into the darkness. I speak truth where there is deception. I speak forgiveness where there's hard-heartedness. I speak surrender where there's self-preservation and protection. Help us, Lord, to yield to you in 2023, to grow up, to come up, to be sons and daughters of a king who sent his son to return that act of love with obedience, God. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to have a time of worship right now. We have people up here to pray. The Lord is calling us to come up. We have a prayer available in Spanish, in English. I'll hang out over there in the corner back there. I would invite you. The Holy Spirit is inviting you to respond. And sometimes you can stay in your seat. Not some, you can always stay in your seat. But if you really mean business, take that step of faith. Get up, pray with, commit, cross the line. It's scary. What will people think? Come up, child of God.